Akotokatoa, everyone, and welcome to the weekly Hoon. It is a privilege and a pleasure to be with you and with co-host yeah. Peter, Bale, <laughs> Peter yeah. Bale in Auckland. I am in Wellington. You can see the glorious, very prestigious press gallery background here. And uh, this week we're going to talk about um, what's happened in the global economy, financial markets, what's happening with uh, uh, Boris Johnson, Joe Biden, uh, what's happening in uh, the world of European Central Bank's house prices and um, interest rates, which of course is very important. And, and of course, we'll talk a little bit about three waters and what's going on with fiscal policy and monetary policy. But um, because Peter, we don't have Robert Hat, Robert Patman today, I'm yes. just going to have to go into my um, into my wardrobe there and see if I can find a um, corduroy jacket with with uh, <laughs> with leather patches on leather, leather patches on the elbows. You've yeah. got to have the leather patches on the yeah. elbows. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, it's wonderful to see you all. And, and he's, he's we don't even have anybody here pretending to work while marking it. Well, he should be marking essays as well. <laughs> yes, yes. And now, Bernard, you haven't opened the chat as well again. I'm sorry to keep oh. you know this. Somebody, I mean, since we have to be our own producers, as it were. Yes, let me solve this problem. My apologies to everyone. Um, this can be solved with a few. Uh, everyone can see who can see your messages. Yes, that's good. Um, can you can you make comments? That's the question I'm going to ask. I mean, the great thing is we we you know we still do this as though we're running like a running like a Swiss watch. Yeah, uh, I wish the Swiss watch was slightly more. Yeah, yeah, accurate. more of more of, more of your grandfather's shagged out Omega, but you know. <laughs> um, I will. Uh, meanwhile, I will try to solve this problem while you're talking about what on earth is going on with the British political system. And whether or not the replacement for Boris Johnson is going to be remotely better than Boris Johnson? Well, it is an interesting thing. And I'm funny enough, I was listening to that other incredibly popular podcast that we've mentioned before, The Rest is Politics. And it was an interview this week with, um, with Keir Starmer, the leader of the opposition, the Labour leader, the former head of public prosecutions in the UK, who has always been a bit wooden. And Boris, for his, to his great credit, came up with one of the great lines um, that I've heard in British politics lately, and it was, and it really hit home where he described um, Keir Starmer as a pointless human bollard, which I thought was actually, you know, because he is a rather, <laughs> he is a rather solid, stolid, and stolid fellow. Um, of course, Keir Starmer had hit home a few times lately, in, in, including his um, deft line, which I'm sure he didn't write about about um, uh, the basically the conservative resignations being the charge of the lightweight brigade. <laughs> which was which was which was not bad, but in this in this session with uh, Alistair Campbell and Rory Stewart, he actually sounded quite appealing. He sounded interesting. He sounded as though he'd sorted a few things out, and he just came out and he called Johnson a bullshitter, and it was just it was a really sort of I mean nice turn of phrase, but the right turn of phrase for what's gone on. I mean, but Boris went into this um, valedictory speech in the House of. Parliament this week is last uh, Prime Minister's question time and talked absolute bollocks 
saying saying that he'd had uh, um, a mission largely accomplished, which of course, if you recall, again he missing the irony of that, which is which is George uh, George W. Bush um, standing on the front deck of that of that aircraft carrier with mission accomplished in Iraq, and most definitely it was not accomplished. Um, and Johnson really, you know, just it was a tidal wave of bollocks. And he, of course, also came up with the deft last line of hasta la vista, baby. Oh. Uh, ah. as, as someone described him, a pound shop, a pound shop Schwarzenegger. Um, <laughs> and, uh, it, you know, and it's, it's it, it, you know, it was it's an extraordinary act of sort of self-delusion. But we, we have we have seen that. And, and yeah, J Lin, Lin, Liz Truss, the foreign secretary, the current foreign secretary and uh, Rishi Sunak, the former uh, Chancellor of the Exchequer, whose whose resignation moments after Sajid Javid, the uh, uh, the Health Secretary, um, you know, really pitched uh, Boris Johnson into into pretty much having to resign. But it started this tidal wave of fifty, I think it was now, ministerial regulation uh, re resignations and party resignations, and um, you know that's that's left us in this weird place. What's what's very odd about this is that dead people um, can't stand. But you would think that Margaret Thatcher was literally in the room this week because Liz mm -hmm. Truss even dressed uh, in a in a in an outfit that was identical to one that that Margaret Thatcher had won uh, had had worn when she came in, and it, they're all outdoing themselves to sort of describe themselves as Thatcherites. And even in the Conservative Party, there's a lot of people who aren't old enough necessarily to remember um, exactly what it was like under Thatcher. So it always seems to me to be. Um, to be a slightly old, odd, um, odd, odd way to do. But somebody pointed out to me on Twitter today that um, probably Winston Churchill um, wouldn't have wouldn't have um, uh, done very well in the Conservative leadership stakes um, with the MPs because he was uh, too too left wing and too pro European. Well, that's the thing about Winston Churchill. I mean, he he had it several different ways. He was in a liberal. Yeah. Um, thing, and then he jumped to the Conservatives. And yeah. Well, of course, there is a current British politician, Boris Johnson, who models himself rather on Winston Churchill, and has written an extremely poor biography of Boris Johnson, which is um, second only to his unwritten and undelivered bi uh, biography of um, William Shakespeare. Um, and you know, people were speculating that maybe Boris is saying, um, "I'll see you." You know, I'll be back. Uh, and and he did use you know phrases like for now. And it, what, what's oh. also clear, he's going to be, and, and it's also true, Bernard, of our lives now, and even at our advanced age, that these people, Boris Johnson is fifty-eight, and like Tony Blair and Barack Obama, he's going to be around for the rest of our lives, and he's going to be making life hell for whoever follows him in British politics. But it's also possible that he'll have to face a by-election because there's still the parliamentary. Oh. Um, inquiry into whether he lied to Parliament, which of course he did. Oh, having, that would having, be just juicy you know, having, brilliance. Exactly. The exactly. idea of Boris having to essentially resign because he lied. And yes. Also, this idea that he would somehow put himself up again and then be rejected by his own constituents. Is exactly. Too exactly. juicy. Yeah. To, uh, yeah. No. The, the, the whole the whole the whole thing is a, is is a great saga. So. I mean, let's, so well, who's going to be the British Prime Minister? Uh, probably Liz Truss, I would say. Oh, so because... should we introduce our audience to Liz, Liz Truss to say? Oh yeah, yeah, trouble? yeah. Well, I was, I was, um, uh, I, I think I sent you a very good thing from the Daily Mirror, which of course is a Labour supporting supporting um, uh, a newspaper. But um, their their associate editor Kevin Maguire 
said that um, Liz and Rishi Sunak have more, more baggage than the Heathrow carousel. Uh, and she's the Johnson continuity candidate, a vacuous chancer who would be out of her depth in a puddle. <laughs> that is just beautiful. And I think it's worth sharing with our audience some beautiful footage from 2014, because we do that sort of deep research here mm, on The Who, mm, mm. of Liz Truss. And for those of you who, you know, are of a, a podcasting listening frame of mind, I would highly recommend every Saturday morning that you listen to the Friday Night Comedy podcast from BBC on BBC4. You can get it from the BBC um, Sounds We, we call podcast. that Radio 4. Radio 4. Yeah, we. <laughs> I love that line. We, as in I'm from Britain and yeah. I'm I'm, well, I am a, I'm a kind of a palm. I mean, I'm not, I'm not really a palm. I'm a New Zealander. But anyway, carry on. That's right. So Don't let those, me distract you from your own the, bloody podcast. <laughs> the great thing about um, BBC Radio 4 is that you get some juicy stuff and it's free. And one of the best things um, is to listen to the Friday Night Comedy podcast on BBC4, which is a collection of uh, a thing called Dead Ringers, which is essentially comedians pretending to be politicians. And then like a game show where people make fun of politicians. And there's nothing better than Brits making fun of their own politicians. They're so good at it. What are you going to do it? You can talk about it or are going to do it? No, no, here it is. So what I'm going to do for all those people is to share a... Um, a video of Liz Truss, who some of you might know of because she was actually the person who negotiated New Zealand's free trade agreement with Damien O'Connor and the Prime Minister um, before she got elevated to be the Foreign Secretary and now the probable Prime Minister of Britain. So here is Liz Truss. So what I'm going to do is share the uh, screen I have with you. Here we go. Uh, yes, this is good. And you can get a sense of who Liz Truss is and how interesting she is. Yorkshire tea. This is not a joke. God almighty. Can you hear her? There is, in fact, an audience here that is not, in fact, laughing or, or clapping the other way around. As well as exporting our fantastic food abroad, I want to see us eating more British food here in Britain. At the moment, we import two-thirds of all of our apples. We import nine-tenths of all of our pears. Do we need any more of the spinach? No, I, I think that's probably cheese. enough, actually. Yeah, yeah. You're quite yeah. right. That, that um, we've got the general picture. We have got the we have got the general picture. And apart from wearing the um, uh, the little sort of bow bowed blouse that Thatcher wore, she's also been been photographed in a tank. Um, could you turn could you turn her off now? <laughs> Jesus Christ, turn her off for God's sake! So the the general yeah. picture here is that Liz Truss is this. Um, I suppose you could call it pretend Margaret Thatcher. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, she's, if, if he's a pound, if if Boris is a pound shot Schwarzenegger, which is quite hard to say, she's a pound shot Maggie. And you yeah. know, she 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 has had her own personal photographer as as Boris has had. And when she went to see um, 
Putin at the beginning of summer. What did, and what did she do? She had, a, I mean, he, he ignored her pretty much and she saw Lavrov, who was unbelievably rude to her. But she had a picture of herself taken with a Russian furry hat in front of the Kremlin, in front of St. Basil's, you know, when it was about 40, 35 degrees in Moscow. It's just bonkers. So and you've got a you've got a bunch of charlatans. The difficulty is, though, I mean, despite me saying that um, I thought Kia Kia Starmer performed very well in a in a podcast with Rory um, Stewart and Alistair, he, he he doesn't perform tremendously well. He is wooden, which I find extraordinary for somebody who was uh, a very effective public prosecutor. But you know, the, there isn't a strong uh, alternative Labour offering. It seems to me at the moment, at a time when they really ought to be well, absolutely pathetic. You know, they, yeah. they, 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 Labour ought to be streets ahead. This is the strange thing, that the incompetence, the, um, the tinier, the um, uh, absurdity of British politics has not been exposed and, and then replaced by something remotely competent. Uh, um, in, in the same way that, you know, all of the drama after... Um, John Major was Prime Minister, and then we, we sort of went into this long well, remember, period. Remember the John, John Major sleaze period? Yeah, yeah. You know, it wasn't John Major who was sleazy, of course. It was just a couple of ratbags in his, in his cabinet. But the level of sleaze there was just so small, so modest by comparison. It was, you know, a little bit of, a little bit of toe-sucking and extramarital sex with David Meller and um, Tim Yeo. You know, it wasn't, um, you know, vast quantum, billions and billions of pounds missing in COVID relief funds and uh, and the kind of lying by the prime minister that you've seen from 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 uh, Boris. It is it is quite extraordinary, and it will go on for another. You know, Boris is still going to be there in September. This, this won't be resolved until September. Wow. There's a lot could happen, and I would be very surprised if he doesn't turn up in Ukraine next week. Oh no, this is just awful to think that you know. Uh, the, in fact, I'd be very surprised if if uh, Liz Truss doesn't turn up in Ukraine as well. Since they, since they both single-handedly claim to have defended democracy there. <laughs> and, and I would highly recommend you all listen to the Friday Night Comedy in Dead Ringers, in yeah. which Je Liz Truss is defined for me eternally as um, the sort of politician who enjoys being on the, uh, the main stage, but doesn't quite believe that they should be there. And essentially looks, breaks the fourth wall every yeah. now and again and says, I know this shouldn't happen, but it is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and can you believe I'm here? <laughs> exactly. And uh, the BBC have just nailed her vibe um, perfectly. Yeah. Um, and of course, you mentioned about how, how you know, why this all, all goes on and on and on. I mean, the, the, Daily, the Daily Mirror, whose editor, Paul Dacre, is almost certain to become Lord Dacre in the Boris Johnson yeah. resignation honours. You know, is is pushing the whole stab in the back uh, theory. The whole you know, Rishi, Rishi, you can't vote for Rishi because he forced Boris out. And there is a kind of uh, you know, at Boris conspiracy story doing it. And we will hear a lot more of that from Boris himself. You know, he is going to go full Trump on this epic. So in a way, he is essentially screwing the scrum <laughs> after he's left the field by saying to people, um, uh, "Sure, I've been sent off because yeah. of bad behaviour." But I'm going to make sure that whoever is my replacement is just as bad. Well, he wrote his he wrote his own valedictory statement and, and lodged it with um with the Library of, of uh, Parliament on, on this week as well, which listed all of his achievements in um in about 200, 200 pages. Oh. anyway. So after the fun of 
Boris and the absurdity of it all. Um, there's some real things. And Vladimir Putin decided to leave the country. Leave the country for only the for, first for only the first, the first time, time. Since, the, since the invasion. Yeah, and ended up in Tehran. To tell you know, us second, what's second going prize, on. Second prize, second weekend in Tehran. Yeah. Yeah, well, it was a very interesting, you know, it's I, I in my spin-off thing this week, which you welcome to post because it's truly excellent, mm-hmm. Bernard, as you know. I mean, I have everybody <laughs> I have. in New Zealand hanging on, hanging on I by have. every word. I have. Yeah. Um, I, I, I said it was probably possibly a, a, a sign of his desperation, but that might be a bit too risky because, of course, you know, we do we just forget how many resources the Russians are prepared to throw uh at the ukraine and and how much suffering they're prepared to put their own troops through so you know i i i think sometimes um feeling as though or saying as though ukraine has turned the war is a bit as a bit of a risk but um putin went to tehran to talk to the talk to the mullahs about um drones getting getting um quite sophisticated it would appear uh iranian drones and plenty of them um and also there was a, a deal for um, for Gazprom to come and to come go to go to Iran and um, uh, improve Iranian gas fields and so on. And of course, he also had a fabulous meeting with um, Erdogan, the Turkish president who went to Tehran with him or, and kept him waiting for approximately 58 seconds um, <laughs> while, while Putin was you know, live out in front of all the world's journalists, which, of course, is a classic Putin tactic. Um, and you know Putin is unbelievably rude to people that he's that he's meeting in the sense you know he will keep them waiting for hours and hours and hours, and then try to um, you know get them in a position where he's um, you know he's got some hold over them having kept having kept them waiting. Not to mention his wonderful thing with uh, Angela Merkel, where he, knowing that she was afraid of dogs, he brought an enormous dog to a meeting with her. So you know he got he got he got a little of his own you know we're talking high high dog diplomacy here, but he um, we um, uh, yeah Erdogan kept him waiting and it was clearly unsettling or would appear to have been clearly unsettling to to Putin. But you know it's uh, and, and Erdogan of course is looking for concessions here. Erdogan is still holding open the possibility of. Um, stopping uh, Sweden and Finland. Uh, really? Yeah. Wow. Well, he, he, he said, you know, he, if the if the agreement that he reached in Madrid is breached, he said he will still pull the plug on it. But I don't think that will happen. But what he was negotiating with Putin was something that looks like it might actually happen, which is a, a, an end to the grain embargo and probably uh, a Turkish mediated um uh, situation in which Odessa and a couple of those other places in southern Ukraine can be opened up for, for shipping of of, Ukra- of uh, Ukrainian wheat and, and oil seeds, which is just vital. Yeah, so this seems to be the sort of big diplomatic push at the moment is that the UN and everyone is just desperate to get this huge chunk of uh, grain and various other things out of Ukraine and Russia mm. through the Black Sea. And they're using uh, Erdogan his connections with uh, Putin to try to make this happen. And yeah. this would be good news for everyone, of course, because then a whole bunch of wheat would get to the Middle East and avoid, you know, catastrophe and uh, actually, you know, reduce prices of food, which, you know, hey, that's a good thing for everyone. So um, is it is this really going to happen or is it just more? You know, well, I think I, I think something will happen and then there will be there will inevitably be mines or there are mines. There will inevitably be, be breaches. Um, you know, we just you know the, the, there's nothing that Putin won't use as a um, as, as a lever. And, you know, food is clearly a lever. Um, the engagement of, of merchant merchant shipping will be will be a lever. Um, 
you know, he's 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 after after um, whatever leverage he's got and whatever chaos he's got. And it was also interesting this week, Lavrov, uh, Sergei Lavrov, the foreign minister, the second most cynical man in the whole of in the whole of Russia, <laughs> um, talking about the war aims and extending them into um, further territorial encroachments mm. and uh, that whole coast, that whole southern coast from Crimea all the way all the way to Odessa. And so, you know, they they may be struggling in uh, Luhansk and Donetsk. But their, you know, their ambitions, their ambitions remain large. Yeah, and um, we'll have to see whether or not uh, all of these new long-range American rockets. Ah, yes, the HIMARS. Yeah. I, well, I heard a wonderful. There's, there's a. There's a. Uh, so I, um, I can actually share with people. I, I follow quite a few um, Twitter accounts, uh, including Ukrainian ones, which show footage of. Um, various things being attacked, and some of the most spectacular are the um, nearly one or two a day, it would appear, of um, Russian arm stunts um, miles back from the from the front, being destroyed by these HIMARS um, highly ah. mobile uh, multiple launch rocket systems, which can fire. I think it's thirty eight kilometers at extreme accuracy, so they can go they can go way further than the than the Russian artillery. And the point of them being highly mobile is that by the time They've fired and 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 struck whatever the target is. Is that they've moved on, and that's another reason why the drone, why the Russian ambition to have more drones is so important. Because they, um, you know, they're getting very, very badly hammered about this. And if there's a really good piece in the Economist this week, which quotes from a 2016 American um, military handbook, uh, which is referring to HIMARS, and it says Russian forward ammunition dumps are quite possibly the most unsafe places in any war zone. <laughs> You can say that again. I <laughs> uh, shouldn't shouldn't laugh because you know it's it's bad, but um, it, it is quite something. And one of the great things or sad things, depending on how you look at it, is that you can find just about anything on YouTube to explain yes. just about everything. And what I've really enjoyed, and I'm leading you all into a deep little dirty secret. Is that I've enjoyed. Oh, Bernard, we don't need to know that somebody was already. <laughs> Pat Clark was already asking if toe sucking was sex, and I, I just, I don't need to have this on a family podcast. No, like no, this. Thank no. you very much. Exactly. So one of my sort of um, dirty little secrets is I like to watch YouTube explanations of military technology and history, and so I've spent the last week understanding how HIMARS works. Ah. And how oh, are you in a are you in an armchair with a pipe now that you can yes, that's right. tell us this? <laughs> with leather do, do tell us because yeah. I have a couple more things to say about it as well. Yeah, yeah. And and these are amazing things that can essentially uh, uh, get around all of the defensive um, weapons that the Russians have. Because of course now, of course, you know, there's a lot of weapons designed to shoot down rockets as they come in. Yeah. There's ballistic rockets and, you know, not sort of slow flying planes, but we're talking, you know, 3000 miles an hour coming in to blow you up, um, shooting them down with other rockets. Uh, 3000 3, miles an hour would probably be a hypersonic um, rocket. I yeah. Think. I'm just yeah, going to yeah. go over to my, my go and light my pipe as well. <laughs> And and anyway, what, what's what's amazing about these HIMARS rockets is how that the Russians have not developed countermeasures for them. So even if you've only got well, and, that's that's exactly what I want to tell you about. But carry on, go on. I'll come so, back so, to you. So the Russians literally only have sixteen of these things. 
16 trucks with tubes on the back that don't look very fancy at all. But because these are uh, rockets able to go, you know, 40, 50 kilometers and to basically be very accurate. So you only have one of these things, they cost 100,000 US dollars. Uh, I mean, that's cheaper than a New Zealand house, but still, you know, that's a lot of money. And you fire one of these things into the dumps, as you talk about, mm. and the Russians can't stop them. So even if you've only got 16 of them, and America announced this week, and this was news, they were going to send four more of them into Ukraine, suddenly the Ukrainians can actually do some real damage. Yeah, well, also, according to... Um... Uh, to the to the economists, the the um, Ukrainians are also being extremely imaginative by using their old uh, rocket systems, their old Soviet era rocket system for uh, uh. multiple launch rocket systems to confuse Russian radar and to confuse Russian defences, and then they lob one of these HIMARS over, and 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 away it goes, blowing up the um, um, bl blowing up the dumps. There's also, but apparently, apparently, Bernard just to draw heavily on our pipe and poss possibly we need a, a glass of whiskey in our hands to talk about this. The, the Ukrainians also want a thing called ATACS, A-T-A-C-M-S, which is the Army Tactical Missile System, which is a similar approach to HIMARS, but has a 300 kilometer range. Wow. And that would allow them to um, get quite a long, quite a long way back. In fact, it would allow them to cover every square inch of the um, currently occupied territory. Uh, Russian-occupied territory. Um, but the the bit that I was going to tell you, Bernard, um, from our position with the pipes, is that um, the Russians had believed that the A400 rockets, uh, A400 and A300 Man. air defense system would, in fact, defend them against, um, ah. against the HIMARS. And um, according to the very good uh, English military analyst, uh, Phillips, Phillips O'Brien, um, the Russian Defense Ministry is not entirely happy with the manufacturers of the S3, S300 and 400 and described it as a criminal organization, which has signed many billion dollar contracts um, and with, with the guarantee that they would be able to shoot down not only planes and helicopters, but also military missiles launched by American HIMARS. And apparently the answer is no, they can't. So that's also going to be of interest, of course, Ooh. to... Uh, Erdogan, who rather upset the Americans by by buying the S three hundred system for um, for Turkey, so it turns out the NATO part. It but, turns out these fancy weapons don't actually work. Yeah, well, rather we. It was also quite interesting that we. Um, and again, I think we have to be very very careful about laughing at the Russians. Mm. However, mm. Uh, evidently they did also shoot down one of their own Su thirty four bombers, Sukhoi bombers. <laughs> Um, while trying to shoot down a HIMARS. They shot down one of their own bombers by mistake. I wonder what Russian for oops is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Niet, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Bugger. Yeah. bugger, I think it's bugger, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, no, so it's really interesting to watch what's happening in Ukraine. Of course, it matters for us because, of course, the longer this goes on, the longer the Russian oil supply is restricted from the world, the higher our petrol prices are. And the only thing that really matters, at least politically, sadly, is whether or not our petrol prices are above $3 a litre or less than $3 a litre. And for America, whether it's above $5 a gallon or below $5 a gallon. Yeah, and but Bernard, but, but this is, I, I have to take you to task for some of your work this week where you're essentially blaming the bank of the, the, the Reserve Bank for inflation in New Zealand. Yeah. When it's, it's virtually, you know, you, you, you made some distinction between imported and domestic inflation. It's virtually all imported, really. 
you know, I think well, you're being a bit unfair to these people, including to Jacinda. I'm, I'm just not going to have you being rude, rude about Jacinda anymore. <laughs> well, um, you're right that, uh, you know, we didn't start the Ukraine war and COVID we can't truly be blamed for. However, there are two sides to every story in terms of demand. We're not going to both sides everything, Bernard. No. We're just going to be accurate. When I say both sides, I'm talking economically both sides as in uh -huh. supply and demand. So, you know, there's been a bit of a supply restriction, a supply shock in the global economy. But on the other side, there is... Of a, a bit of a supply shock. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. This, this, it's true. But there's been plenty of demand as well. And that's the real difference. And the thing I think that um, the, the Reserve Bank and the government is trying to use as cover for their mistakes is that, sure, we did the wrong thing by printing the money, but so did everyone else. So therefore, we don't look quite so bad. And in fact, it's easy for us to accuse the others of doing the wrong thing, even though we were doing the wrong thing at the same time. Yeah, but Bernard, so this is really this is this isn't so much Monday morning quarterbacking <laughs> as as next year quarterbacking. And I was very amused to see that um, our lovely friend Patrick uh, Smelly rather took you to task here without mentioning <laughs> without mentioning you you by name. Oh yes, but he 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 used a phrase which I'm just looking for. Um, could Which it have is, been Harry Hindsight? Oh, well, Harry Hindsight is definitely you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely you. Oh, yeah. Some I told you so chin scratcher. <laughs> I, so I think that is most definitely you. you know, which reminded me of the Norman Lamont comment about, uh, about um, the basically it was aimed at the FT talking about teenage scribblers criticizing his, um, his, his finance decisions. So I, th I thought that was a bit, a bit um, Monday morning quarterbacking of you, or, or as we now call it, Ian Forster. But yeah. um, I, I also wanted, Bernard, I think there is, there is something to be said for the, for the Reserve Bank being under scrutiny. So, but surely we can just do that through a select committee, not through some epic inquiry into why we, what, you know, what, why we did quantitative easing. Yeah, the problem is that the MPs know nothing, to be frank, about um, the Reserve Bank and how it operates and the questions to ask. I mean, I've, I've sat in this... Your, your mate Nicola does, doesn't she? Yes, yes. And to be fair, so does um, Zoe Swarbrick, and there's a few Labour MPs who know a few things. Chloe, Chloe. Zoe, Zoe is sorry, sorry. non-existent younger sister, yeah. My apologies, Chloe. Chloe. Yeah, do not, um, yeah, do not diss Chloe. My daughter would kill me if we if we if we're rude about Chloe. I love oh, really? Chloe. Oh, yeah. oh good. Um, so the, yes, there would be some interesting questions, but what we need is as what what the Australians have actually announced this week, which is a proper independent inquiry by some people who actually know how central banks operate and are truly independent. Yeah. So the Australian... I, quite, I quite like that cartoon you sent me of the of the of the economists depicted as um, proctology sur surgeons <laughs> pulling on the, pulling on their gloves and the. It's rather unpleasant of the of the Reserve Bank lying on its face with its bum in the air, ready to be inspected by the economists. Yeah. Yes. 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 Um, don't worry, they're only economists. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the Reserve Bank of Australia is being reviewed by the new Labor government, uh, Labor without the U, and it is having a good close look at what the Reserve Bank of Australia did. Now, the Austra Reserve Bank of Australia wasn't quite as uh, uh, profligate, I suppose you could say, is ours in that they didn't uh, remove the LBR restrictions and they also didn't do too much of the uh, cheap lending to banks. But the Reserve Bank of Australia kept 
printing for longer than we did, and also um, did this unusual thing, uh, well, unusual except for the Bank of Japan, in doing a thing called uh, yield targeting. And this is where they say, we'll keep printing money as long as we can keep the longer term bond yields below a certain level. Now, we never quite did that, but uh, and the Japanese are still doing it. Uh, but the concern in Australia is that they went on for too long. And now they're, they're doing a proper review. And they're not just letting the Reserve Bank doing it. They're, they're letting... Yeah, well, let's, I don't know, but I just let's, let's, let's have a proper review into COVID as well. And, you know, I, I, well, I've been dipping into that one this week. Yeah, yeah. Stephen Youngblood's asked us a question here, which actually goes to the... To the you, you, were, you were talking about having um, uh, Pagani come on and talk, talk to us about this. Um, mm. But... Uh, what are what are our views? I mean, we have views. I I, I bought some petrol at Gull this week, and I I, I you know I, I was lucky to leave with my shirt still on. Um, the extent to which profit seeking is driving inflation compared with genuine supply issues. A month ago, it was early to tell, too early to tell, at least in New Zealand. But I think we can say that Fletcher hasn't been doing too badly out of the jib board shortage. Um, and I and but the, the, the petrol one is always a um, no, Paul Kennedy, I'm not going to take my shirt off. Shirt, shirt off. <laughs> Although I just like to say my moves are much less hideous than Boris Johnson's. <laughs> I, I saw a picture of Boris Johnson the other day, which I can't unsee, and it was gro absolutely grotesque. It made me feel like going running again. Um, please, and please, dear subscribers, please let me apologise for the word moves. Yes, yes. Appear, appearing in a podcast. Yes, yes. So, um, but back to inflation. And, and not inflation of our moves, thank God. <laughs> but the, it is always amusing to me the way the, the 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 lag on the downside. You know, as petrol prices coming down, miracle, miracle. It takes quite a while for it to flow through to the consumer. And I and I thought that Megan Woods did did a pretty damn good job last week of um, knocking some heads together. Well, the story behind that is that uh, on Sunday, when the government announced the extension of the um, fuel levy cut. Uh, they didn't mention in the press yeah. conference that there would be that they had sent a letter to the, the fuel companies saying, "Hey, pull your heads back in, mm. stop taking the piss, um, give us back some of that margin, which had increased from around thirty cents a liter to, to about sixty cents. Sixty cents a liter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So why? I mean, they don't the... even give us bloody glasses and knives and forks anymore, you know? <laughs> and they certainly aren't going to come out of the out, out of out and you know do our windscreens." Yeah, well, exactly. Or pour and, the petrol fit into the car for your mother. Yeah, yeah no, 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 no. They make you do it yourself, mm. and you have to clean your own hands. Um, no, the the reason I, I I'm sort of interested in this is so I went to the press conference on the Sunday afternoon. Uh, this is what you get for your nineteen dollars a month, and mm. to be frank, it was fun. And and so halfway through the press conference, I realised that Megan Woods and Grant Robertson had not did, done their obligatory message to the fuel companies don't you dare keep this fuel ah. tax levy in the form of higher margins so i had a little luckily i have my laptop in front of me and um it's very easy to quickly check the margins so mb and i'll put the link up in the chat in a second oh, don't do that bernard otherwise people you don't, you've got to keep your secrets so that people realize that you know they can't possibly know everything unless you tell them uh yeah. Luckily, luckily, I am confident enough that um, that my dirty little secrets can't be replicated simply because um, they're not that, they're not that valuable. Uh, but certainly, uh, if you have a look at the numbers for fuel margins um, over the last uh, 
probably two or three weeks, they have mm. exploded. Uh, and this had been noticed by some people at MB and luckily passed on to the minister, who then oh, so that's wrote a first for the MB. I'm yeah, sorry, yeah, that's yeah, rude, yeah. That's really rude of me and no, completely unreasonable. They're lovely people and and happy subscribers to the CACA. And uh, so what I said in the middle of the press conference, I put my hand up and said to Megan Woods, hey, I've just had a look at the MB profit Ooh, margin. Oh, good on you, Murder. Yeah. You're stepping into the news agenda. I like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I said, um, hey, Minister, have a look at this, which shows you, and I put the link up in the chat for those who want to have a bit of fun. You can see that the margins have doubled in the last couple of weeks. Um, is the government okay with its $569 million in subsidies effectively being handed straight to the fuel companies in the form of higher profits? Are you okay with that? And the minister said, no, 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 I'm not. I, in fact, I sent a grumpy letter to them last week. And magically, and I claim credit for this, and if only yeah, I could... So have, you, have, you, have you saved me about a fiver after I drove to Matamata to get some petrol the other day because Gatsby told me that it was two cents a litre cheaper? Exactly. So for all of the subscribers to the Kaka, this is what you get. You get cheaper petrol. Oh, that's fantastic, Bernard. <laughs> and um, literally... Oh, you are a, you're basically a, you're, you're a public servant of the very best kind. Yeah. Talk um, about public interest journalism. You should, be yeah, getting, yeah. you should be getting government subsidies from the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Yes. If, if only I could somehow um, uh, clip the ticket on the way through, that would be great. In fact, one of my beautiful ideas as a business model for journalism was uh, effectively... Oh, yes, that's working very well for you, isn't it? <laughs> right. <laughs> which, which was to um, have journalists discover effectively public scandals that cost the public money, mm -hmm. um, or even better discover scandals that would move a share price up or down. Ooh. Oh, insider trading, you mean? Yeah. Excellent. And either you could take the risk yourself and do the insider trading before you publish it after the effect. Yeah. Or even better, you could use it to blackmail the people who are doing the dodgy thing, ring up the company and say, unless you give me some money, I will um, publish this thing that will make your share price go down. Mm -hmm. and oh, well, in fact, of course, Mm. That's that's exactly how that company, Muddy Waters, the um, exactly. Los Angeles-based, uh, yeah, San Francisco-based fund manager works. It, it publishes shitty research about companies moments after it's just short of them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's sort of beautiful and evil. and, and It's wonderful. deeply evil, well, I think, yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, um, I haven't quite gone that far, but, but if I could somehow clip the ticket on the probably 10 cents a litre of profits that's been saved in the last couple of weeks because I asked that question. Well, you then... can clip the ticket. I think I think we need, you need to... Have you tweeted that? I, I've saved everybody in New Zealand, you know, staggeringly yes. large amounts of money. You, yeah, because should. of me, you don't have to drive to Matamata to save two cents a litre. Right. You that's know, right. I used $50 worth of gas to go and get $100 <laughs> worth of gas. Did you really drive to Matamata? No, I did not. I don't even know where Matamata <laughs> is. Although I do know the Prime Minister comes from there and Judith Collins. Um, sort of. No, no. So I'm I'm sort of halfway proud of that. And uh, this is an important thing in that the government has to be very wary about when it cracks down on what it sees as super profits, profits that are too large, that in the process of cracking down, they don't use their... Um, uh, their position as the you know the on the pulpit to essentially be the bully, yeah, to, um, to operate in front of on behalf of the public, 
And um, it's amazing what you can find when you do a quick bit of digging in some numbers. The scary thing is, is that most of this information is out there in public and often it is uh, captured and uh, looked after by the public service who are in no position to expose anyone and have to hope that their minister is in a good mood or a bad mood, depending on which way you want it to go. Mm to um, expose this stuff. So um, that was that was interesting. And it's interesting, there's been a, couple, a bit more coverage in New Zealand. Well, we're now getting week. into the bloody, no, she's from Morrinsville, not Matter Matter. I mean, they're basically <laughs> the same. Somewhere between, it's somewhere between Pocono and Cambridge, all right? Yeah, yeah well, actually, mm. having a lived- to, A little further, a little further east. Having right. lived quite close to Matter Matter, yeah. there is an interesting distinction between Matter Matter and Morrinsville. Is that? Because one has a one has a Maori name and one has a Pakeha name. Actually, Matamata has more horse money, yeah, than Morrinsville. Morrinsville is more pure cow money. Matamata has a sprinkling of horse money and cow money, and quite recently, movie Hobbit money. money, Hobbit, Hobbit money, money. Hobbit yeah. money, which means that Matamata is a better class of small. Oh. Ah, town well, the other thing that has been is is um is, is a bit of onomatopoeia because you know my friend who you've met um who you uh who i'm not going to oh i'm sorry andrea's asking me to let you finish <laughs> no no I, jesus I've, christ I've, that'll be the day i've made my rude comments about the class um no no, of no you're right. and, I, I think andrea's actually wanting you to be able to finish some incredibly important economic point and she's absolutely right oh, i do yeah, apologize yeah. Yeah, um, but, but my friend Bernard um, seems to have always lived or visited, been been in places that have two names, uh, Mangamingi or Mingi, Mangamingi uh, in the, and at the end of the Lost Highway, Kati Kati, uh -huh. and so Mata Mata has to be the next the next stop, I would think. Now, yeah. can I ask you another couple of political questions? Because you know, as you know, I don't really delve into New Zealand pol politics um, because I don't know what I'm talking about, but that's never really stopped me anyway. I thought your mate Nicola Willis was rather marvellous on the wireless this week when she deliberately chose not to crap all over Jacinda Ardern for taking her mask off for about five seconds. And she almost yeah. lit literally said, it's really unfair to take the Prime Minister down like this. And I thought if it was Jerry Brownlee or one of those other, you know, overweight, moob-laden old hacks from the, from the <laughs> National Party, um, we wouldn't have had that. And I thought, I thought it was a really good moment of Nicola Willis being a, a relative human being, unless, of course, there were just pictures of her out in a sauna with no mask on or something. But, no, you know. no, no, I think I think you're right. Genuinely, um, the people in the National Party are, are not necessarily in love with the whole mask mandate thing. Mm. And they're quite happy for the Greens to be holier than they are and for um, essentially Labour to get uh, punished without being seen to be uh, mean about it. Um, so, yeah, no, it, it makes sense. And the same with uh, Christopher Luxon. He's been very good, actually, about uh, the Prime Minister being overseas for a few weeks and yeah. uh, has actually been quite complimentary about her achievements. And it's interesting, in the last week or so, we've seen one poll which suggests that uh, National's trajectory has stalled and that there has been a tiny bit of recovery by the Prime Minister in the polls. We'll see. Well, I Bernard, get... I, th I think this is, a, I was going to interrupt you again because you're talking bollocks, but there's a, there's a, it, it's critical, of course, that we have a very brief segue on that to somebody who was definitely raising the standards of, of, of New Zealand public discourse, which is Leo Malloy, who described himself as a complete C-word 
and did an absolute, I thought that interview with the guy Williams from, uh, from TV3 was sensational. You know, yeah. it, 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 he, he out, out uh, Leo'd Leo. <laughs> and, you know, I think Leo's going to, might, going to be, uh, you know, he, he is so horrible <laughs> and so obnoxious. And, you know, he's an obnoxious little shit. And I reckon he could do it because there are yeah. so many people who would just like to pull their own, you know, pull the chain of, of liberals and, um, you know, machine politicians like Phil, Glock, Phil Goff. That I think, and, and I loved Leo, you know, all of his people have been buying up the domain names of all the other <laughs> candidates and feeding traffic back to Leo Malloy. And he says, oh, I know nothing about that. Now I'm not going to come on TV and talk to you about it. Yeah. He's I mean, you know, there's, he, a, there's an evil genius to him. There is a sort of, um, you know, uh, if you've watched uh, the great movie with Robert Redford and um, Dustin mean, Hoff, all, all the President's Men. Yeah, or, yeah. Do you, or, do, or do you mean um, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Club Kid? Uh, no, all prisons yeah. men. Which was, was Paul great... Newman, of course, not, um, not yeah, yeah. Uh, Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, yeah. Dustin Hoffman so, might have made a rather ridiculous cowboy in that, but carry on. Uh, he would have been awful. Yeah. yeah. No, but no, no. Um, one of the great lines in All the Prisoners Men is about that guy who is a Republican operative who did all the dirty tricks for Nixon and described how he became known as one of the rat fuckers. Mm. <laughs> And this rat fuckery is just, you know. Have uh, you been drinking gin this afternoon? No, 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 no. I mean, I feel in a podcast at the end of a Friday afternoon, I can use one swear word. I have a, like a oh, quota. Oh, good, but not the C one. No, no. And um, thing about Leo Malloy is that he really is in that that group with the Trumpies, who who see politics as a game. At, who see politics as a, you know, uh, something in which you can come up with a fantastic meme and play the game and uh, do over those stupid uh, greenies with their holier-than-they-are um, uh, thing. And uh, he is playing that game with a bunch of mates and that whole, you know, by the domain name stuff is just classic Republican rat fuckery. And there's a there's an MO for it, you know. There's like a there's like a is. there's like a conference. You go, you fly to America, and you do the three day conference, and you get taught how to do it, and it's all beautiful and amazing and fun. And you come back and you do it, and then when you're um, 60... <laughs> excuse me, I'm just I was told to wait for your punchline, and it never came. But, but Paul, Paul Kennedy said. That's a good one here. It's, um, it's, we're on. To, we're in a bloody trouble if our if our listeners have got better jokes than we have. Which is, <laughs> let's. It's the the approach to electing Leo Leo Malloy is you know, like this isn't working. Let's see what happens if we let the dog drive. <laughs> Very good. I like that. I did quite like though that Leo Leo Malloy wants to um, have uh, free travel, which I think is an ex excellent idea. I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I'm sure it costs. You know. But on the other hand, do we value it if we don't if we don't pay for it? You know, it's like having free well, water. It sort of doesn't no, matter. Like free water. We're going to start charging for putting bubbles yeah. in it. Yeah. Although yeah. I see New Zealand's got all upset about mineral water too. What the hell am I going to do if I can't get my badwa? Well, badwa? Really? Do you really believe it comes from some beautiful place in France? Or it's like Coca-Cola turns some sewage into something? He says, steady. <laughs> um, you know, uh, just bouncing back to the whole... Um, uh, uh, 
uh, Auckland mayoral situation and yes. free public transport. Just to um, be completely self-promotional about it, I've done a podcast this week for the spin-off, which is a deep dive into the issue of free public transport. Oh. And actually, one of the really interesting things about Leo Malloy is that he has seen the writing on the wall and has grabbed that policy from Efeso Collins, the mm. green lefty candidate he's up against, and said, oh, that looks good, I'll take that. And the reason is that the beautiful thing about free public transport is that uh, it allows car drivers, the Mike Hoskins of the world, and dare I say, Peter, with your with your lovely little sporty car, to don't talk about my sporty car and sport friends will never talk to me again. Yeah. <laughs> and and to be able to drive drive on these roads with no people on them because they're on the bus. That's a bloody good idea. No poor yeah, people yeah. on the roads and they're clapped out old old Corollas. Speaking of which, Bernard, I was most amused. So so I have a we we're, we're digressing a little bit today, but I think people occasionally like that as long as I don't interrupt you because most of your stories are one gigantic digression. <laughs> But I often have a discussion with uh, our old friend Michael Field, the journalist, about mm. the ludicrous pictures that um, the New Zealand Herald and many others use to illustrate aviation stories, including lately. Oh, gosh, I'm, I like Anne French even more than I thought I did before because she drives an MX-5. Anyway, <laughs> there was a wonderful story. I think it was in Stuff the other day of with a, um, a picture of an Airbus A380. Um, in a story about Rongatai Airport in Wellington. And <laughs> I would I would definitely pay money to go to Rongatai Airport and watch uh, an A380 try and land on Rongatai. It would be most amusing. But yesterday's one was a, file, a quote, file picture, which is a, you know, if, if, the, if the editor producing this content is too, too lazy, they'll find a file, pic, file picture. But it must have been from 1976 because it had an old Falcon Ute and a Ford Laser and a bunch of other shagged out old cars. Well, actually, they were brand new cars driving up and down in a puddle in Wellington. And it was meant to, meant to be depicting the storms in Wellington. And it looked as though it had been picked up from 1976. So, you know, standards of journalism are slipping. Indeed. Um, and if you're looking for a bit of fun at Wellington Airport, um, there is an amazing video documentary of when the... Vulcans, you know the American, ah, the well, British. Funny, you should, funny you should mention that. So uh, a, a, a Nelson boyfriend of my mother's, called uh, Commander Len Trent, flew the first Vulcan to Rongatai. Ah. Is there a picture of that somewhere? Well, there's a video of the Vulcan landing at Rongatai for yeah, the first time. That was him, and he could have it, been my dad. He could have been my dad. Ah, and getting it wrong, so landing just before the runway, so they. Um, the big wheel hit yeah. the gravel, punctured. Good Lord. Yeah, yeah, punctured and did the whole Concorde thing where it burst a, burst a, a gas tank, um, then took off again, went down to Ahakia, luckily didn't blow up on the way there. Up to Ahakia, I think you'll find, but yep. yeah. Yep, yeah. and, and landed. And so um, one of the most interesting things is that's the one near disaster that day. There was another near disaster when the Vulcan was doing a big um, uh, fancy dive across the Rongatai runway and almost like crashed into the runway. It was that close. Well, I'm going to have to have a look at this because Paul's being extremely rude about my my 
putative um, parentage of, <laughs> I've, I think, I think he might have had a VC as well. So I was always quite keen to have him, uh, have him possibly as my dad. And he seemed sort of dashing and handsome. Meanwhile, yep. my father was um, bolting together to Havland aircraft at, at Rongatai, uh, probably as the Vulcan, as the yeah, Vulcan went past. Yeah. But I digress yeah, no, again. But... We have really gone off the reservation here today. Um, but um, uh, we must be close to the end and the, and the need for a, uh, I don't really have a skateboarding dog story today, but I did also, that before, when we were talking about uh, 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 price gouging, um, oh, yeah. you know, and, I, and as you know, Bernard, I have, a, I'm, I'm, I have a thing about, you know, socialist rags like The Guardian, but there's quite an interesting story about the $3 billion a day profits that the oil industry has uh, achieved over the last nearly 50 years. And it is, a, it's an extraordinary sort of, um, I mean, it also means Qatar and, and Saudi Arabia and so on, but it really does show you, as the, I'll just put it up again, the extent to which the oil industry is so tightly bound into politics mm. and global economics, and it's yeah. not going to go away. You know, no. we, we've got to be we've got to be very cautious of this idea that that and it's going to go away in any in any by any means. No, and we've seen that in the last week or two with Joe Biden turning up in Saudi Arabia um, to basically beg for more Saudi Arabian oil. The irony, of course, is that the Saudi Arabians actually can't increase their production too much more and to the point where they're actually buying oil from Russia to refine. And um, for those people who you know love their um, geopolitics and political economy, the big number that came out this week out of the New Zealand economy was our trade deficit, which was a record high trade deficit in the last year, in part because we shut down Marsden Point, the refinery, Yeah, which meant that not only are we paying high oil prices, but because uh, oil refinery margins have increased, we have effectively added that on to the total cost of the imports of petroleum products that we've yeah. gotten in the last yeah, I, year. Yeah, we talked about this before, but and I, I'm pretty sure that New Zealand is going to regret shutting down Marsden mm -hmm. Point. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting. Along with much else, but of course it'll, yeah. be, it'll be Mr. Luxon to handle that. Yes, and uh, what's interesting about that is it's uh, reduced our resilience to any sort of drama. Yep. It means that we're reliant on refineries in Malaysia and China. To bring in these um, these refined, not just diesel and petrol, but also jet fuel. We yeah. forget, we forget that you know without the jet fuel, we are really stuffed, <laughs> as we discovered. There was a couple of years ago when the pipeline down to the Auckland airport got uh, sliced open by someone looking for carry mm. carry bits in the mud, and um, suddenly we were like a week away from not having anyone flying in and out of the country. So resilience, that's the one thing we sort of should have learned in the last couple of years of COVID. Absolutely, we haven't. No, no, we have New, New Zealand's shitty at infrastructure and shitty at some of these some of these bad decisions. So I've got a kind of a skateboarding dog story, which is, which is you know, when New, um, the UK hit 40 degrees this week. Oh, yeah, yeah. One of the places that hit 40 degrees was the aerodrome, the military aerodrome where Boris... Uh, mm -hmm. Went for a flight on a typhoon and did the loop. That did the loop. The loop, and um, Toby Young, who's a bit of a dickhead and a bit of a right winger, uh, pointed out that it was just unfair to take temperatures at, at airports because they were full of tarmac and therefore, you know, recorded higher temperatures. Um, and the Daily Mail 
uh, ran an editorial this week attacking um, attacking basically everybody in the UK for being snowflakes. And of course, somebody did a little digging and discovered that the commentary was written by a guy who writes speeches for the fossil fuel industry. Mm. So I'm just going to put up a piece that I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm no, I'm no bleeding heart, as you know, Bernard. Um, but there was an excellent piece this week by a um, uh, by a um, climate scientist, uh, again, writing in The Guardian. And one of the reasons I call out The Guardian sometimes is because it's open and free and therefore I can um, can share its content and know mm. that people won't suddenly hit a, hit a um, paywall. But it was very much around this idea that, um, yes, Britain had a heat, heat wave in 1976, but no, it was nothing like where we are now. And it is the, you know, it's the extent, it's the frequency, it's the co uh, coincidence, if you like, of these things in so many places in the world. Yes, and... Um... That's the sort of scary Jesus thing. Christ, everybody's, a, everybody's a bloody expert today. Dara's asking me to sit, not sit quite so close to the screen. People love me. You know. Jesus. All right. Oh, we've actually, had a lot of actually maybe, we could have, maybe we could have make your own podcast, because we certainly are. Yeah. 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 No, no. Everybody's we're, we're, a critic, though, aren't they, really? No, no. It's the middle of sort of winter, uh, let's get a bit loose thing going on. We've really enjoyed it. Peter, thank you so much for um Oh Bernard, I have got, the, let me just read one thing to you because I sure, put it sure. on thing. Because it's you know, John, somebody mentioned John Crace, and I'm I'm not a huge fan of John Crace at The Guardian, but he 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 did say that uh, Boris cannot survive without the spotlight. There is no substance to him, just a carapace of molten neediness that feeds on attention. Mm. I quite yeah. like that. A carapace of molten neediness. Yep. And just like Trump in many ways. And uh, yeah, let's not let's, go on to the Ivanka, Ivanka Trump story. We'll do that next week. No, not not and, or never at all. No. And the sort of slightly. Oh, by the way, we have to be careful. If um, if uh, Nancy Pelosi goes to Taiwan this weekend, any, all, all bets are off. There'll be some excellent flying into the, um, into the Taiwanese uh, air defense area. Yeah. I see the Pentagon have said they'd quite like Pelosi not to go yeah. to Taiwan. Yeah. They were hoping for a quiet weekend. I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, Bernard. Thank you so much. And yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very sorry for talking to you. I'm just going to, I'm going to wait until I'm, until I've been spoken to by everybody on this no, 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 podcast. No. It's wonderful to have you all here. Kakita on everyone. That's been the See kaka. You. Thank you very much. This week. Thanks. Bye -bye. And I'll, and I'll make myself smaller as it were. <laughs> See you later. Bye-bye.